Welcome to Survival Mode. This is Todd Angelucci, uh, registered nurse, health coach, a uh, a person who's a brain tumor survivor uh, and shared his experience and lessons learned in his journey and walking through the challenges of life that a lot of people experience for sure and share a lot about struggles, the effects of trauma, fear, anxiety, and working through things that may be holding us back and keeping and living a happy, inspired life. And today I have Carly McKenzie. She is a fellow brain tumor survivor. And, and I literally met her through a group, a brain tumor, uh, group and we had some chat via Facebook and I really loved what she had to share um, about her journey and some of the things that she's learned and living life full out and to the best after having an experience for sure that is is uh, is hard to imagine and uh, in my own experience as well I could relate in so many ways so, Carly, welcome to the the podcast show. And uh, tell me a little bit about your story, you know, a little bit about before and kind of your story. And and we'll chat a little further about um, some of the things that you might have learned and could share with the the world. Yeah. um, Thank you for having me. It's uh, interesting to talk to another survivor about my experience. I think. I'm so used to talking to people who don't know what it's like uh, or because I've had enough, I've been, a, I'm like three and a half years since I've had brain surgery. And so enough time has gone by that it's kind of in my past. And there's a lot of people who I know that didn't know me at that time of my life. And this is the only version of me that they've seen and met. And to go back and look back before all the brain tumor stuff happened, it's, um, I was in a really interesting time of my life post-divorce, um, in my early thirties, just kind of working a professional life, um, living with my boyfriend who was going to school full time and, um, I was just rocked by this crazy sudden news that I had had a brain tumor and had spent probably the next, I don't know, 12 weeks going through surgery and recovery and getting back into work life and then having to get back to normal life after that. It's like, how do you go from living your life to having this crazy experience and then going back to it. It it was just, uh, you know, it, anybody who goes through it is going to have this just, you know, this really unique perspective on their life for a a period of time. And um, it's going to be different for everyone, I think, and, and what they learn and what their experience is like, how they heal from it. so it's cool to talk about. Yeah, I, I could totally relate. So tell me a little bit about your 
what led you to under to learn that you had a brain tumor? Like what was going on um, for you? Distinctly, I can, after everything happened, I, I can remember looking back, you know, way back into where I could see symptoms of possibilities of like that was a sign. And it was probably a couple of years where certain little things were happening that I didn't really realize were potential, potentially part of that. One of them was getting car sick. Um, there were several road trips I took where I couldn't be in the passenger seat. I had to drive and that's not normal for me. And then uh, another time was um, probably like two years before I found out I had really weird sudden vertigo experience, which I've never had issues with vertigo before. And, um, about six months before I found out I had a really bad case of, uh, the flu and I spent about five days at home in bed with a really bad fever. And after that was when I started having more and more symptoms that progressively got worse and worse and worse and worse. And I spent from about December to July trying to figure out what was going on. And the beginning of it, I think was really the flu and the fever. And I'm convinced that the fever had something to do with it growing rapidly. Um, but nobody will confirm that I have no that's just my theory um but what really triggered me to think like this is weird uh was waking up in the mornings it was pretty much every single morning I would get this really intense like surging pulsing feeling like the only way, only thing I can relate it to is like having a hangover and just like your head pounding, but it didn't feel like it was, you know, in the front of my head. It felt like it was in the back of my head and it would happen like, choo, 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 like super intense and then go away. And I started getting it more frequently. So it wasn't just in the mornings anymore after I would like sit up. It was when I would go to the bathroom and like bear down, it would happen. And it would happen if I like bent over to pick something up or um, if I like stretched and, you know, had any kind of like pressure sort of stuff. And that's when I started kind of thinking like, this isn't normal. This is weird. Like I'm going to go to the chiropractor and see if maybe like something's off and um, I was going probably at least once a week to the chiropractor and it wasn't giving me any relief. And I started developing a lot of like neck tension um, and like my shoulders and my back were just tight, like super painful. And um, then the headaches started getting worse. And I just, it was like, I had a constant headache. It was just it would get really, really bad where I couldn't focus on anything and I had to go lay down. And then the fatigue started where I just, I couldn't sleep enough. And I'd say probably 
a month to a couple weeks before I found out, I started like sleeping in through my alarms to wake up for work. And I would be driving to work and feel like I just want to fall asleep. And I'd get to work and I would just be so out of it. Like I had no energy. I, I just remember feeling really foggy. And so all of that going on, it's like, I knew something was wrong. What it was, I had no idea. My theories at the time were it was like a pinched nerve in my neck. Um, and I was having a lot of neck pain and I was having a lot of headaches and I was having, you know, just the things in my neck that didn't feel right. And so uh, I went to an acupuncturist to try to maybe like relieve some of this stuff in my neck until I could find out more stuff. And that wasn't doing anything. And then I decided to go to a naturopath to get my thyroid checked, thinking, well, this fatigue must be a thyroid. And you know, this is just weird. And she was the first doctor to really tell me something didn't seem right. And I remember her making the comment during the appointment of, I wish I could see inside your head and uh, I'm going to order an MRI, but I don't know if your insurance will prove it, which they didn't, no surprise. So from there, I was just kind of, what do I do? I have to see more doctors, I guess. And I decided to go see an ENT um, and at that ENT appointment, she tested my hearing, which I don't know why my hearing was fine. Um, I think because I had had bouts of vertigo, maybe. Um, and then I was there because I thought I had a pinched nerve in my neck. And so she just kind of felt around and, and she was like, well, I, I can't really do anything without um, imaging. And at the time I was like, I remember being really frustrated, like the way that she communicated it was um, like, I don't know how to describe it. It just, it felt very off-putting. Like she didn't understand what, what I was saying or wasn't listening to me. And just, I think kind of like, we'll come back if it gets worse. And um, from there, I remember being so frustrated that I had, I think, just kind of like let it go for like a week, but it had gotten so bad. I was in so much pain that I was like, something isn't right. I know something is not right. And I decided to see my primary care doctor just... <laughs> I saw my primary care doctor for uh, antidepressants. I wasn't even there to, to talk to her about this. And as I was leaving, I was like, oh, well, by the way, I'm having a lot of these neck ish pain issues. And um, she said, well, let's order an MRI and get your insurance to approve it. And as I was leaving the appointment, she said something, I can't remember her exact comment, but I remember her alluding to the fact that it could be a tumor in it. And it was like, well, good luck, I hope. It was like she was thinking it was a tumor, but didn't tell me. And 
the next week was when my uh, MRI was supposed to happen. And um, there's so much that happens in that process to that like leads up to it. It's like I, all of those details, I can't even remember because it's been so long at this point, but I'll never forget the morning that I had my MRI and the details leading up to getting the phone call while I was at work that I had a brain tumor and that I needed to go to the emergency room and like all of those details will just be so clear and vivid in my brain for forever it was like just you just don't forget that stuff um it was they talk about trauma that is the experience of trauma of you know even the morning of getting my uh, my scan, I had never had a, a, a an MRI before, so I had no idea what to expect. And um, I my scan was at like seven thirty in the morning because I needed to go to work. And as I'm in the machine, he comes in to do the contrast, and he asks me if I have a follow-up appointment scheduled with my doctor yet. And I was like, nope, I don't know. She said, you know, just to get the results and set up an appointment. He was like, okay, well, I remember ever since then, I've never had a technician ask me a question between getting my contrast. It was like, I don't think they're really supposed to say anything to you, but as the scan was happening, he could see this egg-sized tumor in my brain and an egg-sized cyst in my brain, and obviously something was wrong. So uh, he was trying to get information to find out what kind of appointment I had next, and as I walked out of getting my scan done, I remember him just kind of having this ominous feeling a little bit and trying not to let me know that something was not right. And I went to work and just was like, I hope everything's okay. And it'll be nice to have some answers, like thinking that they'll just see a pinched disc in my neck, like no big deal. And Um, An hour later, I saw a missed call on my phone from my primary care doctor's office. And I instantly was like, oh, my God, why are they calling me? Like, that's too fast. And I listened to the voicemail and all they said was, we need you to call us right away. And uh, I walked out I worked in a showroom at the time and I walked out of the showroom into the warehouse and and called and uh the my my primary care doctor wasn't in the office that day so this poor woman had to tell me over the phone that I had a brain tumor I'd never met her before and never talked to her before and she just was like I'm so sorry to tell you this but they found a brain tumor and we need you to go to the emergency room immediately. And, you know, I just remember shock coming over me and it took a second for it to sink in like what she had said, like, but I also realized like this seems, this makes sense. Like this is why I'm having all of these issues and not having any answers to like, 
what kind of tumor it was, how big it was, where it was, uh, was really scary. Cause when you hear about somebody having a brain tumor, it just seems like a death sentence. And, uh, you know, so I, I basically felt in that moment, like I'm probably going to die. And, uh, I don't know if it's cancer. So you then start thinking like, am I going to have to have chemotherapy? Am I going to have to go through radiation? Like I'm going to be really sick for a while. And I just started crying and, um, they were trying to get me to tell them what hospital I was going to go to. And I just, I couldn't think straight. And so I went into the, the showroom where all my coworkers were and they were like, oh my God, what happened? Like, are you okay? And I just was crying. I'm like, they found a tumor. Like everybody knew what was going on with me. And so for, for like, for them to also see me go through that phone call process and finding out, I think it was also traumatic for them and seeing somebody that they work with every day, see that happen. Like you, you don't, you don't see someone get a diagnosis like that's super serious very often. <laughs> so from there, it was getting driven to the ER and my boyfriend met me there and um, we waited hours to get any kind of answers. And finally the emergency room doctor came in with the imaging and um, she put the imaging up on the, screen in the ER room and she goes points to my skull which you know at that point you can see this big giant mass in the middle of my brain like oh my god and she goes so this is all the all, all of the cancer right here this white spot like you're just gonna have to start getting used to hearing that word wow <laughs> wow is that crazy that is crazy. And I'm a healthcare worker too. That is crazy. Yep. I, uh, I don't know why she chose to say that because it wasn't cancer. And my neurosurgeon, um, after that happened, it was like, whoa, this is crazy. And they were waiting for my neurosurgeon to get out of surgery to figure out what he wanted to do next. And so we spent probably four or five hours in, in the room just waiting and they wouldn't let me eat anything. They wouldn't let me drink anything because they didn't know if they were going to take me to surgery right away. And when he got there, finally, I like he came into the room and I just started crying. It was like, just this like overwhelming feeling of like, this person is going to tell me things that I've been waiting to hear. Like I was just, I didn't realize how on edge I was. And I remember him telling me something along the lines of, I can't confirm this, but just by looking at the imaging, I don't think it's cancer, but we really won't know until we get in there and we take it out and we have it sent to get tested. So it, it did put me at ease, but you just never know. And I was still in such shock and, and, you know, processing what was happening that uh, I was just completely overwhelmed. And, um, you know, they decided to um, let me go home 
because he had probably opened up his schedule to get me in right away. And so they, it was a Monday, they scheduled my surgery for a Wednesday. So they, they didn't think it was necessary for me to stay in the hospital at that time. Um, but before I left, they shot me up with a bunch of really strong steroids. And I don't think I got a wink of sleep until surgery. It was terrible. Um, and I just spent two days at home, just like anticipating this crazy thing happening. And my parents came up. Um, they live, lived at the time, just like an hour and a half away. My sister lives in Minneapolis. She was trying to decide if she was going to come out. My other sister was out in the middle of nowhere camping, didn't have cell reception. And she didn't find out until like the day before because she had finally gotten some cell service and found out, hey, Carly has a brain tumor and is having brain surgery. You should probably get up here. <laughs> so uh, it was a, it was crazy. I, I, I can go ahead. I, I can't imagine. Um, I mean, I'm sure everybody has that similar kind of experience and feelings. It, it was just, uh, it was really hard to see my head on that screen with these big white masses in there and being told it was cancer and then having to have surgery two days later you know, like there was no, which sometimes I think is a blessing that I didn't have time in between to think about it or to like Google on online. And there's a lot of scary stuff that didn't happen to me. So um, that was probably the best piece of advice that the ER nurse gave me when she handed me my paperwork. She said, there's a lot of scary words in here that was like summarizing my MRI She's like, the best thing I can tell you is don't go home and Google anything. Just, this is just some information. You're going to have surgery. Don't Google. And I, I didn't. <laughs> and I'm really glad I didn't because afterwards I did. And I was really freaked out. <laughs> I didn't Google either, by the way. Everybody oh. else Googled around me, but I didn't. Oh, Google. yeah. That. I mean, that. maybe other people did, but I sure didn't. <laughs> you know, I could relate so much to your story. Um, you know, the thing that I was, when you were sharing was, you know, I didn't have a doctor calling me back. Like, I was always curious, like, how does that land? Like, I was in the ER not thinking this was a brain tumor. Like, I didn't even have any symptoms. I thought I was just working too hard and overstressed and, approaching 50. That's what I thought. And you know how you said you remember certain things and that's part of the trauma, right? Mm -hmm. When they walked into the room after my scans and, and the doctor and the nurse and, you know, being a healthcare worker doesn't help being a nurse. You know, I worked in the ICU. I was always on their side of the conversation and when they told me I was shocked and I didn't like all out cry, but tears came down and I just said, this sucks because mm -hmm. I didn't know what to even think. And they said to me, I'm sorry. 
And I felt like that was like a death sentence. Like you're saying that to somebody that died already. Mm-hmm. And my girlfriend, I call her and she goes, oh, how are you doing? I said, this is not good. Mm-hmm. There's something in my head. And then I called my ex-wife and she's a, a nurse. Everyone's a nurse, but she's an APRN. And she's like, she took it very like, oh my God, like this is serious. And those people took it serious and I took it serious. And then all of a sudden everyone's on me, like, oh, neurosurgeons come and see you. We don't know what it yeah. is. All of this stuff. And the guy who did the brains didn't see me till the next day. They admitted me in the hospital. And he goes, I don't know what this is. I'll present it to the tumor board, but we could do a bi- biopsy. And mm. like, whoa, you know, like, let me get into, you know, this was a small community hospital. I'm like, you don't even have a neuro ICU. I want some specialized stuff. You know what I mean? And then I went to the chief of neurosurgery at a large facility who he recommended. And I went there tears. Mm -hmm. And I said to him four times, I wasn't, it was that still just the tears coming down. Mm -hmm. And I go, this is hard. This is hard. And he goes, I know. And he goes, it's got to come out. And so I had a delay in game, like, oh, my scheduler will call you, you know? So I tried to work, but the steroids, I couldn't do it. Mm, I can't imagine. (laughs) And I, and literally I just sat, I got a will together. Yeah. I got all my stuff. I had conversations with people that I needed to have because this could be the end of your life. So did you, you did the same thing. So let me ask you a question. Cause I like, obviously, you know, you're thinking like, Hey, what is this? Like, what's my treatment course going to be like all that stuff. But for me, I started to go down the road. Like I wasn't work. Like I didn't care about work. Like I didn't care about it. Like what mattered most was just being with some people or just the, an experience. Like, honestly, when I was in the hospital, the two types of people that meant the most to me were the transporters because they transported me and some of the aides that care because they listened. And you had your surgery during COVID, right? I did. Okay. I, oh, wow. <laughs> yeah, so I was juggling that a little bit too. <sighs> but you're I didn't have to have that experience, thankfully. <laughs> So that's an added trauma, but I really just started to see like the things that I thought mattered didn't matter. Totally. Did you have that experience? Um, you know, it was so quick from when I found out to when I had surgery that, um, before surgery, it was really just shock and that shock didn't wear off until surgery like I, I I went from finding out to being in shock to having surgery and then after surgery you're just so drugged up for like probably a solid couple weeks the first week like it's just, all the days just kind of blend together and I was in the hospital I think for five days um but I remember just wanting my parents to get to the house and um, when my sister and my parents finally got there, it was like, 
first point where I could really just like felt like I could have my comfort was there and my poor boyfriend was in the middle of his term and you know he's facing his girlfriend probably dying and um his parents were supposed to go on a trip that they had to cancel um and it was not only shocking for me it was shocking for them and um I didn't really have time to like think about I wanted to do this before I have surgery it was just trying to take those moments of like everybody trying to come up before I have surgery to be with me and the night before um my now mother-in-law made dinner for everyone and it was a beautiful summer day. We sat outside on the deck and we all ate dinner together and it was just like a kind of a peace coming over. It just was calming to have my family there to be eating yummy food, you know, and it was like, we were all in it together. They were all there to support me and to be around me. And it just, um, as scared as I was, it was like, you know, I was ready to face it and I was going to have these people by my side to get through it. And, um, that night I decided to shave my hair off and my boyfriend cut my hair off for me, which is kind of a sweet moment. I have a picture of it. And, um, that night I couldn't sleep. So, uh, I cried a lot and, um, I, had decided to write my will you know which is so weird because I was I think 31 or 32 at the time and I was writing my will and I didn't really have anything of substance it was more like I wanted to say my words to people that I loved and I wanted to tell them this is what I want you to do with me if I do die like you know cremate me I don't want to be buried because I think that's weird And I said, I remember writing, you better not put me in a box in a closet because I will haunt you. (laughs) It's like, you got to put me somewhere, like, but not in a closet on a box. Like, I don't want to be on a shelf. Like, put me out there somewhere in a a place that is beautiful in nature or something. And um, it was just bizarre having to think about that, you know, because you just, you think you're going to live till you get old and have this potential mortality facing you it was just really interesting um to experience that as a, as a young person especially yeah yeah you're definitely younger than me but it like it puts it into perspective that and and I didn't think about it and I lived my life prior to this I lived my life like there's a way future right and then all of a sudden there may not be Mm-hmm. Right. So with that being said, so you, you had a definite longer recovery, you know, you were in the hospital longer than me. I was, people were shocked at mine. They did the surgery and um, they had to do all these mapping and all this stuff mm-hmm. before. And of course the COVID stuff, like nobody could be there. Like oh, literally that was so hard, literally I felt like I was, cause I, I was in the army 
I literally felt like they said, Hey, you have a sick, you have to be at the hospital for 6 30. I'm like, okay, it's an early case, blah, blah, blah. I'm up at 3 a.m. because the steroids, it was so uh-huh. challenging with that stuff. And I'm there and I I because I'm in healthcare, I know this. I give my girlfriend everything, cell phone, because they'll lose your stuff. She drops me off because of COVID. She could walk me to the front. And then I'm in a paper Johnny by myself. Come to find out, I get there and they're like, your case isn't until 11, but we needed to do this sooner. So I'm staring at the wall for like four hours. (laughs) So they they did the huddle above me in the OR and I'm like, oh my God, like I I was always over there. I said, I'm not looking over there. And then no joke, I woke up in the PACU hungry, wanting to eat. I spent one night in a step-down unit, which was a crazy unit. And they sent me home the next day. Wow. And I was like, I got to protect my head. They're squishing stuff. It felt squishy. It was the weirdest. How many people did you have? Um, I had sutures and I don't know how many that dissolved. And then the weirdest, so there's things that like people don't think about, right? Like they actually drill into your skull Uh and they do this thing and they flip up. And then there's this thing that they clamp and you have titanium clips, but your bone, that bone doesn't merge back together. Like, it's not like the other bones, you break a bone, right? It heals. You're like all set, right? This is like, I'm like, oh my God, I actually have a hole in my head. Yeah, it's bizarre in my brain. And, um, it was hard. And I think that's all I could say about it. And when you shared your, you know, we were going back and forth on Facebook messenger. Like I could so relate that's there's so much hard things about what you go through. And what I loved about our chat was you sent me a videos things you tried to do Uh, did afterward right so you get through you're healing up of course you're never the same in any which way so tell me a little bit about what your road back was like and some of the things it wasn't linear like um after I had surgery, um, I had a scare in the ICU uh, on the second day when, cause you know, they try to get you up and moving and the physical therapist was in the room trying to get me to stand up and like walk to a chair. And I just completely passed out. And um, my mom and my sister were in the room at the time and uh, I was attached to all of the machines and my, I coded. And, uh, so the whole hospital staff comes rushing into my room and my poor boyfriend had just gotten to the hospital and was like walking into the ICU and seeing all of these people in my room and, um, they, you know, get me on, on back onto the bed. And I think it had been around like 30 seconds where they had brought the crash card in and they were, they were like ready to go. And I came to, and I just had all these people around me, like, 
you know, and I remember this guy and I remember this guy and they were showing me images, like a, a photo on a piece of paper that was like a kid in the kitchen with his mom washing the dishes. And I had to describe what was going on. They were trying to figure out if I had a stroke and lo and behold, it was a vasobagal uh, response. Um, mm -hmm. So it wasn't anything serious, but it was enough to freak the shit out of me. And everyone else around me like uh i was terrified to even try to get out of the bed again and um from there i had made progress in the hospital i gotten out of the icu finally and i had been able to get up and around but i was very weak very shaky my balance was terrible my eyes were all out of whack um but their goal was to get me to a point where I could go home and not have to be taken care of by nurses anymore. And I remember thinking like, I sleep on a second story house. Like how the hell am I going to get myself upstairs? And um, they had to practice in the hospital in the stair hospital stairway of going up and down stairs and have my family like practice with me so that I wasn't ever going up and down the stairs by myself. And, um, you know, as a 31 or so year old, I'm like leaving the hospital with a walker and <laughs> it's just weird. Yeah. And, uh, you know, over the course of a couple weeks, I just basically hunkered down and was on oxycodone and just managing my pain. And I was doing really well. Um, and, one night my pain just kept getting worse and worse and worse and the oxycodone wasn't doing anything and i called my neurosurgeon and on call and it was like i was bothering him like um well if it's bad enough go to the emergency room you know it's like i was i was you know like i was looking for him to to say you should go to the emergency room right now. It sounds like you need to go there instead of it was like annoyance, like, well, if it's bad enough, go. And, and I would just remember like, I'm going to just wait a little while. Like this will wear off. Like I'll be fine in the morning. And I wasn't, I, I didn't sleep a wink. I was in so much pain and I was just counting down the hours till I could take more medicine. And it was like five in the morning, I think. And I got up to go to the bathroom to take some medicine. And as I am like in the bathroom, I could feel myself about to pass out. And so I like stumble back into the bedroom where my boyfriend was sleeping and I like fell into the bed and wake him up. And he's like, Oh my God, babe, are you okay? And I just said, I'm in so much pain. And I passed out wow. and, uh, I come to and he's on the phone with 911 and 911 comes and, you know, I get taken down to the hospital and uh, I get pumped full of uh, morphine or some pain drug. And um, they gave me fluids. And at that point they had done a CT scan, couldn't find anything wrong. I think I maybe had just another vasobagal experience, mm -hmm. but they, um, what's the, it's not admitted me. They uh, let me observe. go home. They let um, you go home. Discharge they you? Let me go home. Yeah, they discharge me. 
So I'm like hopped up on pain medicine and I couldn't even, I, 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 I was so out of it and I was just happy I wasn't in pain anymore. And my boyfriend wheels me out to the car and he's trying to get me into the car. And all of a sudden I feel like I'm going to pass out again. And the next thing I know I come to and there's this nurse standing above me trying to ask me questions and I had passed out again. Wow. Like I wheeled back into the emergency room and this guy's like, why did they uh, discharge you? They, you know, I can remember hearing his frustration in his voice. Like they let this girl go. <laughs> and so I got admitted for a day and uh, I don't know what it was. I think um, dehydration was a part of it. I think, I was just in a lot of pain and my blood pressure was also pretty low. So the combination just, I had these few days where I passed out. And from that point, I was really terrified of it happening again. And it, it didn't ever happen again. Thankfully, I, from that point on it, I just slowly got better um, and it was about nine weeks until I went back to work and I waited that long to go back to work because I couldn't drive because my vision was so bad. So as soon as I felt comfortable driving was when I went back to work and I was probably not in too great of condition to be working, <laughs> but I needed to make money. And so I went back to work and, uh, I did as best as I could and, um, and, you know, just as time went on, it got better and better. And, you know, eventually you just, you're alive. And, you know, I wasn't in pain anymore, thankfully. But um, I think for the first year, it, it just, it was heavy on me every day. Like, everything I did it was just there. It was just living with me. And it, you know, it was something I talked about a lot and I could tell enough time had gone on that I was starting to irritate people talking about it. Like this again, like, oh, okay, we get it. You had brain surgery, like get over it. <laughs> and you just have to um, find a way to make peace with it, I guess. And um, you know, three and a half years later, like I'm still trying to figure that out. You know, some days it, something will trigger me and, uh, and I'll feel the feelings and, you know, I just try to live every day and just take it one day at a time. So that's, yeah, it never, it, it's interesting because it's trauma. The whole event's trauma. Mm -hmm. um, and I, you know, when I got back, like you definitely had a, an experience in the hospital for sure. That is, is, is tough, but I'll I tell did, you, but I had it so much easier than most of the people who go through this experience. It, me too. Yeah. Cause when you're in these brain tumor support groups. And that was one of the things I had to pull myself out of some of them at the initially after too, cause it just was, it was hard. 
Mm-hmm. And and I didn't know what was up, you know, like it was hard. The steroids, when I got back, I was like, fine for a little bit. They did a taper on the steroids, but I started to like, not be able to spell words. Mm. I was not being able to like recall words, Mm -hmm. but it, that came later. And I thought I was having like, something was going on in there with my brain Mm -hmm. come to find out the PA, I called him a couple of times because he was kind of puzzled. And he goes, I think you have steroid induced mania. Mm, And as soon as that stuff cleared, I felt somewhat back to whatever the new normal was. Those steroids, man, are brutal. I think I was on enough pain medication afterwards that I didn't feel the full effects of them. But, oh, I... I really don't ever want to have to be on those things again. <laughs> and I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't trade it. I, I would not want to have that, the steroids again. And honestly, the IV med, pain meds, it didn't work for me. Like Tylenol was better. Like I didn't, like I couldn't, I don't know. It was at first my head felt like it was being squeezed by a vice. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think I went back to work a little too soon and it it just, it just was hard. You know, it was phys. It it didn't, I didn't realize how much it took out of me Mm -hmm. until. And then when I forget things, I'm like, am I getting old or is this my brain? And I would ask people around me, (laughs) like, is this, and then when I have a good win, I'm like, this is awesome. Like I'm better than you, you know, like when somebody forgets something and I remember, I'm like, oh my God, like, and I view those to this day as, as like mental wins, you know, but the one thing in, and it's going to lead to the question I'm going to ask you, the one thing that I had, and because I didn't know what to do with all this, like, I'm like, what do I do? What just ha- happened? Right. So I got a call from the health system. I, I apparently had a nurse navigator. Right. And so this guy says, Hey, we have somebody that you could talk to. And, you know, somewhat like your story, you know, prior, you know, you had a relationship that didn't go so well. Like I had, definitely a challenging childhood with a lot of trauma emotionally. And I um, got therapy for a long time. So, but I didn't think the people that I ever talked to could deal with somebody that went through somebody with a brain tumor. So there was this person like, Hey, they have somebody that does like counseling with this group. And I said, okay, they give you one or two sessions. So it was this girl, she was was probably about 25, 30, old enough to be my daughter for crying out loud. So we get on a call and we talk and I'll tell you, she was really great. And because one of the things I said when I was going through this, I said this to my girlfriend and I said it to myself is I said, my life has to be different. Like I can't live like... I'm working. So I, you know, like a madman, like, and I didn't need to, but my mind thought I needed to, like, I didn't need to do all this stuff. And, but I realized that 
I thought like probably a lot of people think like death is way over there and let me do all this stuff now and then I'll enjoy my life later, right? And so this counselor said to me, you know, if your life doesn't change the way you want it, you're going to get mad. And she was not wrong. And once I got back to work and life got going on again, and I was grateful to work, like, because in theory, and you said it too, like you hear of these stories, like people, like your life changes. People cannot like talk or, they, you know, all this stuff happens. Like I'm, I'm blessed. Um, but what, what di did you think of things like, what do I do? Like now with this, how's life? You know, do you think about what's different or what you want to be or? Yeah. Like um, I remember thinking as basic as I don't know if I'll ever see straight again. Mm -hmm. And, um, cause I had very bad double vision when I woke up from surgery. It was just it was debilitating. Like if, if it hadn't improved, I would probably never drive again. I, you know, would have to wear an eye patch for the rest of my life just to see anything. It was like, I was seeing two images, like as though you were drunk, like really, really drunk. It was very bad. And, um, I just remember not being sure if I'd ever be able to do just normal everyday things ever again. And it, it was just going to take time for my brain to heal itself. And eventually my vision came back. Most, I still have some issues, but um, when I got better enough to the point where I was back at work, I remember just being content with being at work. Like, I was happy that I had a place that I could come back to after being gone for nine weeks and that I had a support system of my coworkers who were there to help me. They weren't expecting me to go from, you know, be normal me again and, and being able to work a hundred percent. And I spent a very long time napping every single day on my lunch break and people were just respectful of that and um i think at that point i after i healed enough where i felt uh some of the more serious stuff was behind me um i just had this bug to want to live it you know i, I I, I love to travel and, and I remember dreaming one night, I, um, I had, she's not there anymore, but at the time, one of my old childhood friends was living in Denmark and I had a dream that I went to go visit her. And in my dream, I just hopped on a plane and, and went to go visit my friend. And I texted her the next day. I was like, I just dreamt I came and visited you. And and I remember thinking, like, why don't I go? And I Googled how expensive tickets were, and it seemed reasonable. And I just decided I'm going to go. This is going to be really fun. And um, and that's kind of how I lived over the next year was 
having that feeling of wanting to do something and then just doing it, not having this uh, other voice in my head of like telling me not to do it. You know, like, of course it's going to cost money and it's going to take time. And, um, you know, it was expensive. And in hindsight, I put it on a credit card and probably shouldn't have, but it's going to be one of those trips that I'll remember for the rest of my life. And I went alone a year after I had brain surgery and uh, I just adventured. It was really awesome to be able to go do something that I'd wanted to do for a really long time. And um, I had the opportunity to also go to Hawaii with my sister-in-law and her kids. And I went on a hike while I was in Hawaii. And um, because my balance was so bad, I had to hold the guide's hand pretty much like 90% of the way because we were walking along riverbeds and the riverbeds were rocks and my brain just couldn't handle the uneven surface. I just, I couldn't walk on them unless I had this thing that was like uh, grounding me. And that was my guide. And um, I could see in the way he would look at me, just like how cool he was watching this experience of this person who had had this really crazy health scare challenge themselves. And like, just, he was, he got to witness me just living my life. And, um, and I could kind of see that through him as well. Like, it was neat to sort of see who I was and the decisions I was making, and then see the reaction to the people who are watching it. Like, I don't know if that makes any sense. It was like, I was able to see myself through their eyes in a way. And um, it was just really cool to say, I'm in Hawaii, I'm climbing this waterfall, and I'm jumping off a cliff, swimming in this water, and um, you know, doing this thing that I didn't know if I was going to be able to do like six months before that and just got to see this like really beautiful place and meet cool people. And, um, I would love to do more of that. I, you know, but as time has gone on, it's like, you know, I'm more back into normal, like, no, you have to have a job and you need to make money and you can't just continuously put trips on a credit card. And, you know, you have to make decisions that pull you kind of back into like pre-brain tumor life, but still remember that perspective that I was able to have for a little while. And, um, you know, because it's trauma, it's also has a negative aspect as well of like, um, you know, like, for example, whenever I go to the grocery store, there's this particular noise that the intercom makes over the whole store that instantly takes me back to being in the hospital. I don't know what it is about it. It's like a noise that kind of sounds like the machines, but there's things like that that trigger me that take me back to moments of trauma. And I probably have something along the lines of that at least once a day. And other people don't know that. They don't know what's going through my head when I'm experiencing these things. And so you 
you have to find a way to make peace with it inside yourself and deal with those triggers and trauma that you experience all the time because um like my husband knows the things that I I can express those things to him but if I express those things to other people all the time they just get annoyed with me like yep we get it yep mm -hmm. like we know <laughs> And I felt that enough where I just don't really bring it up anymore. At least I try not to. Yeah, it's funny that you mentioned that because I started to get that way myself. Like people don't want to hear it after, but you're like, man, this is, this was hard and there's stuff there. And I don't know. I don't know. Some people don't get it. Like I hear you know, like in my mind, like I get scans, I'm still every six months, you know, they're watching and I don't know what the next five years are like. And when I share, share that with somebody, they said, well, nobody knows we could get hit by a car, but it, mm -hmm. yeah, you know, but I know that there's something else that could take me out sooner. Right. And I, I understand. And, and then eventually it just kind of numb it over things, bring it up. And it's, it's hard. It, it, it's always there in certain ways. And, yeah. Uh, Definitely for the first like year or two, I was very hyper aware of any little thing that could be my tumor growing again. And I've had enough scans now come back clear that I'm, I feel pretty confident that if it is going to grow, it's going to grow slowly just with the type of tumor I have. But, um, I think what's really been more helpful for me is just to constantly remind myself to just live one day at a time. Like I could go down a rabbit hole thinking about all of the what ifs and it's not going to get me anywhere. And, um, I can see how far I've come over the last couple of years and all of those scary what ifs have not come into fruition. And just the other day I was telling my husband, I feel like if I got sick again, whether it was with a brain tumor or something else that I would feel good about my life and the people who are in it and the things that I've done since I've found out about my brain tumor. Like I feel like I could die. Okay. And of course there's things that I want to do, like have a family and travel more and pay off debt. And like, there's lots of things that I have on my list, but you know, some people just aren't going to be able to do that because their life ends. I, I feel good where I'm at right now. And if something happened, it's just what happens. Like I'm not going to, um, and, and it feels really good to be in that place. Um, I don't, I think there's a lot of people who really struggle to have any kind of contentment in life and um I think my experience helped me 
kind of unlock that a little bit. Um, and awesome. I feel strangely like thankful to have my experience and to come out of it pretty much completely healthy. Like, I think that's very rare to have had a brain tumor that wasn't cancer, mostly successful surgery and mostly successful recovery. It's like, you know, I just, I had, I ticked all the boxes and I feel extremely lucky. Yeah. Myself included. I could, I could echo. And it's funny that you say that, like this experience has taught me so much has given me a lot of gifts. You know, there's a lot of people that, like you said, that aren't as fortunate, but it did teach me a lot. You know, it forced me to look deep in a lot of different ways. Um, and it taught me to enjoy the moments. For sure. Yeah. I think it also confirmed some things for me that maybe were a struggle. Like I was raised very religious and as I've become an adult, I'm not religious anymore. And when I was going through my experience, I didn't feel this like urgency to have to like make peace with God. It, it was very interesting. Like I, I thought the opposite would have happened so that I don't really know what that means. <laughs> it's like, I think it just reconfirms that I'm, I'm living the way I want to be living, that I'm not missing out on this relationship with God that I thought that I needed to have in order to be alive. You know, like there was just some pretty significant things like that, where you have these like values in life. And I think when you have a scare of death, it's like, are you living the values of your life the way you want to be? And, um, there was some things that I needed to really reevaluate. Like uh, I used to be a really heavy drinker and I'm not anymore, thankfully. Um, I did go through a period of time where I was smoking way too much weed and I'm not anymore because it was really affecting my mental health. And those types of things just, I can tell myself like, it's not worth living this way to smoke weed or to have a drink. Like there's so much more that I can get out of life if I'm not doing this. Um, and I think I have that perspective because of my brain surgery. Like I think there's a lot of people who struggle with addiction who are trying to help their traumas a lot, but I somehow got myself out of the circle somehow I don't know <laughs> you know it's funny you bring up you know I wasn't you bring up the the spiritual side or the god side I I was not brought up you know I was brought up catholic I, I kind of call myself a recovering catholic you know but through my own journey have developed a spiritual connection and and it's funny through this experience because I you know I did say you know I thought about like, what am I here for? Like, it made me think about this. Right. And I was just like, am I doing God's work? Am I, you know, and my answer was like, I felt like I was doing what I was supposed to do on the planet with the caveat of I could do more. 
mm. you know? And I love what you shared, you know, you just, after your surgery, you just started doing things, you know? And, and that's, that's the perseverance, right? Is just doing things and enjoying the moments and having these experiences. Um, at the time when I had surgery, I was dating my now husband and we had been together maybe for like two years at that point. And he was my rock. Like I can't, I can't imagine being in his shoes. Um, at the time it was, you know, it was, it, it just, it was like the thing that bonded us to each other. Like, I remember telling him, like, you better marry me after this. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. And I don't think he had a doubt in his mind that it wouldn't happen. But I'm like, he went through brain surgery, surgery with me. Like, I'm pretty sure like he's that like, we're just going to have to get married now. <laughs> and we, we eventually did. We got married in 2020. Um, but I forget where I was going with this, but, uh, train fell off the choo-choo track um what were we talking about <laughs> just the god's work what we're doing our experiences in life and then you were sharing about your marriage you're getting married right oh i was gonna tell you um i i just at, at the time i didn't think i wanted to have kids and um and I had previously come out of a really bad marriage, um, a few years prior. And, um, I just, I remember when we got closer to getting married, I just was like, I really want to have kids. Like, this is just an experience that I, I feel like I need to have. And maybe it's my age. I'm getting at that age where my body is just like trying to like tell me like you need to get pregnant <laughs> like I just I just felt this you know core feeling inside of me and, and I just I, I knew I couldn't ignore it and um that's just also another one of those things that I told myself like you have to live your life you have to do what makes you happy and you can't keep denying these things that you, you know that you want and um, I, I think again, the brain tumor experience just helped me make that decision. Cause I didn't want to keep making those decisions that weren't living and I could live to be over a hundred and I would feel confident in that choice. And I could live to be a hundred and regret that decision if I hadn't made it. So, um, I just have to keep reminding myself of that every day. That is awesome. It is awesome. And in, in, in our chats that we'd gone back when you were sharing that, I was like, yeah, you know, it's, you know, perspective change and the, you know, and I firmly believe like the bad, the perceived bad things that have happened, you know, even in my life are there to serve a story we're there to serve for some awareness you know and some learning in it you know and i when when you were sharing your story 
it was great because that's what I wanted to do. Like, you know, I'm like, I get through this, of course I'll get through it. It's living life and life can be short. It can be. And having these moments and, and doing things, just doing them. I always say we do hard things. And that's what I said in every step is my little mantra to myself. We do hard things. And it may not be hard for somebody. It may be hard for me. And, you know, it's whatever we go through. My question to you is for anyone listening, whether they've had trauma or not, what thing would you say to somebody about their life, you know, what kind of word of wisdom would you impart? One thing, what would you, what would you say? Hmm. Um, live for, for today, not for tomorrow and not for yesterday and live for right now. Um, it sounds so basic, but it's so hard to do very hard to do and I, I struggle with it every day but it really does help especially in those moments of trauma where the past just replays in my mind whether it's brain surgery whether it's my previous marriage I've been sexually assaulted before like there's things that I struggle with not just brain surgery but it's part of it and then I'm also very afraid of the future like having brain surgery can still make me very afraid of it. Um, I'm very scared of becoming a mom because I know it's going to be hard. Um, but I'm not going to let it stop me from doing it. Um, it's just, you know, if there's something that you feel that's you keep going back to in your mind, like focus on what you're doing right now. If there's something you're scared of making that choice in the future, focus on what you're doing right now. You know, like it just helps me so much. And if you want that thing in the future, like you have to take those chances and those risks. And the worst case scenario is not always going to happen. Most of the time it's not going to, you just have to take it one day at a time. Like, you can imagine all of the hard things, but you don't have to do them all at once. You can do them one at a time. That's awesome. That's awesome. I remember when I was in recovery, just for something super basic, it was very hard to get up and down the stairs. And uh, I literally had to just do it one stair at a time. You know, if I wanted to get downstairs to go to the kitchen, one stair at a time. And I'd have to be down there for a little while, but I did it. <laughs> and then the same to go back up. <laughs> and it's like, it got down to being so basic like that. Like my future was wanting to go get something to eat. My in the moment was getting down the stairs. And, you know, it's, it's very interesting to be put into that really basic life, you know, where it just puts your day-to-day into perspective like that yeah I remember just going for a walk was yeah. okay you know 
I was like, do I wear a helmet outside and I slip, you know? <laughs> totally. Yeah. I'm, yeah I mean, break. I was walking around with 18 staples in my head for a couple of weeks and, uh, you know, you just, you know, just like getting in and out of the car, I was scared to bonk my head. And, uh, you know, if I was going to get in a car accident, what would happen? And, you know, you, but nothing happened. That was fine. <laughs> I love it. I love it one day at a time, one moment at a time, you know, and not your, your words of wisdom and your experience is, is, is awesome. And thank you for sharing any final words, anything else? No, just, uh, it's been cool to talk to you and, um, I'll look forward to hearing other people's stories. Um, uh, you know, just, it's oddly a blessing to have this experience and I don't wish it upon anybody, but, um, if, if you have to go through your experience, I hope it's like mine. (laughs) (laughs) Me too. Me too. And, uh, you know, I echo you, you, you say it so eloquently too. 